0: Martin Prestoria found himself in a unique place at 12 years of age. He was, uh, uh, his body had been attacked by meningitis and from that meningitis had come upon him a state in which he had basically a vegetable lifestyle. There was nothing he could say, nothing he could respond to, nothing he could interact with and so his parents were told by by the doctors that he will die so uh, take him home and let him spend his final days with you. The only difference was he didn't die over a 12 year span over a 12 year span his mother and father would offer care to him taking care of him in every way amazingly the care that was afforded to him was something he was totally aware of because he would hear everything and know everything and yet his parents because he was not able to respond his parents didn't have any idea what to do for rodney it would mean 12 years of setting the alarm and waking up every two hours to make sure he was turned over so he would never get a bed sore. For his mother, his mother would say to him, I wish you would die. And reality is he heard every word. You can imagine for him being stuck in that state. And no doubt in his mind, he began to ponder when. His dad would take him to a special care center and they played Barney over and over again. He would declare, In his testimony that he began to hate Barney because he saw Barney every day for years. They had no idea that something would happen that all of a sudden he would reawaken by way of being able to respond. He began to discover that if he could watch the sunrise he could keep time. You see at 12 years old he had no idea that the next 12 years would be like that and yet he knew when the time would come he would be able to awaken. He would awaken from that state and be able to eventually end up married and having a productive life. As I read his story, it reminded me of how asleep, watch this, how asleep all those in religion were in Jesus' day. They had been put into a comatose state of legalism. They had surrendered themselves to rules more than righteousness. They had been overcome. Watch this. They had been overcome by being able to set up in a standard that no one could even measure up to. And and yet Jesus comes. And what does he do? He attacks the status quo. He comes at them and says, you know what? This is not the way it's supposed to be. You have to look at life a different way. And so he said, blessed are those even who are persecuted and insulted because they are the ones who will have a great reward in heaven. He goes on to challenge them that you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And as we have pondered this January jolt, we come to a place where Jesus does something that hits at the very essence of what they lived that was their identifying marks. It was their identity that they connected to more than anything else. It was that their ability to be able to give where everyone would see it. And their ability to be able to pray where everyone would hear it. And their ability to be able to fast where everyone could see all the dust on them because they had fasted. And then Jesus even confronts their worry and shows them what anxiety can do to someone. And so today, I want you to imagine for a moment that you find yourself and you have met people in the same light. They wear masks. They live with not an identity that connects into God's purpose, but instead they live missing the opportunity to answer the question, when? When? Because if you remember for a moment that Jesus said, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, but then when he gets to Matthew chapter 6, he begins to take and deal and contend with these ideas of the things that that are timely by way of life. In other words, because when I give, when I pray, when I fast, when I worry, what happens? had the privilege of being able to travel this past week or so with uh, my Barnabas my friend who obviously encourages me along the way and for me and Charlie we got to see in the hearts and lives of children we we hug children whose lives have been destroyed by by the world and they all ask the same question when will we find hope when will we find the answer that guides our lives and what I want you to see today is this as you ponder where you are it may very well be that you have to do an evaluation and you begin to ponder and think through what it is that God has for you. In fact, as you open your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 6, and I want to ask you two questions that may strike you by way of understanding in a very clear defining way. The first one in this has to do with those you know who wear masks. Have you ever found yourself in a place in life where you met someone and you knew they were not who they said they were? They wore a mask in other words, they, perhaps they gave you the picture they had it all figured out, or perhaps they said to you that they had the answers to everything, or perhaps they gave you this feeling that they were all, had life figured out in such a way that they had it all lined up. Well, the truth of the matter is, let's watch this carefully. When someone wears the mask of perfection, that they've arrived at everything, unless they've lived out the last verse of Matthew chapter 5, then they are in all likelihood wearing a mask. Because you remember when you look at the very last verse of chapter 5, it's there that that Jesus makes this statement. In fact, look at it if you would. He said, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the only difference here is this. Jesus is not talking about religion here. He's talking about you are to be complete or mature in who you are by way of your faith so that you can live out the life God has for you. So imagine for a second, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 6... Everybody who's living status quo by way of religion, they're all going, this guy is turning our world upside down. And watch this carefully. It was the status quo of religion that took Jesus to the cross. It was that mindset that said, it has to be this way no matter what. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, okay, you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm going to ratchet it up another level. Because remember, the Sermon on the Mount was a confrontation with religion. Because Jesus realized something. If they only identified in religion, they would never identify in relationship. Because if we don't understand who we are in Christ, it's impossible for us to be able to experience what God intended for our lives. And so all of a sudden, he digs into these issues of what it is that people, why why people wear masks, why people give you that appearance of having it all together. And it's interesting being a pastor for almost 40 years now, known lots of people who wear masks, lots of people who didn't end up being who they said they were. They ended up being totally different. And as a result, you realize there's something very wrong with that. I'll never forget when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia in 1996, uh, I had a guy in the church, the former church I was in, who wore a mask all the time. And his mask was hidden. He, He masked his life by giving the appearance that he had everything in life figured out. And maybe you know people like that. And he would give you that feeling that I know exactly how this all is all supposed to work. I'll never forget, he wrote me this letter as I was leaving. He said, I just want to tell you, I have no doubt that you will fail where you're going. Now, you, know, you can imagine how encouraging it is to get a letter like that when you're moving uh, to Atlanta. And, 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 and in the letter, he, he identified these different things. And all of it, all of it was untrue. In fact, later on, I got it and shredded it because I was afraid someday my kids would read it. And they think, man, who was this guy? But I shredded that letter because, you know what the truth is, he wore a mask. Run the clock forward 19 years His children have not even spoken to him in over 10 years. 10 years. I saw one of his children just recently, and the child said to me, I'm so sorry for what my father did to you. I said, don't worry about that, because I knew he was wearing a mask. And listen carefully, in life, you'll meet people who give you the facade of being somebody, but they're really not. And what Jesus does here, he takes everybody's mask off. And he confronts them and says, you know what, this is not how you're going to live. This is not what you're going to do. You're going to end up living a totally different way. But then you begin to ponder. Have you ever found yourself where you start thinking about time and life and and how it passes so quickly? And do you ever find yourself at a loss for time? You know what, I need to do that, but I don't have time. I need to do this, I don't have time. One of the things that's most gratifying for me in ministry is watching what God only can do. And knowing that his timing is perfect. And so I want you to see what Jesus does here. Because notice if you would, beginning in Matthew 6, look at it with me if you would. And let's look, at this, let's look at the key verses first to make sure we don't miss the whole idea of what he's intended. In verse 1, watch this. In verse 1, he confronts everybody who has lived the life of living a mass, the status quo of religion. Notice what he says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them Otherwise, you have no reward with your father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to think for a second. Here is this giant array of religious people whose clothes are ironed perfectly, whose hair is in a perfect place. Everything is lined up exactly right. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, guess what? If you're doing it that way, if you got it all lined up like that, the truth of the matter is you're getting everything. You get nothing later. Well, can you imagine how alert they were to what he was going to say after that? Because what he says here is this. You practice this in front of other people. You miss the essence of what it is that God has for you. You miss the message of life. Because listen carefully. It is not what others see. It's what he sees that is vital. It is not what others think. It's what he thinks that is vital. And what happens here is all of a sudden Jesus begins to deal with these issues. Look on, though, with me. Look on down. Verse 2. And I want you to see this key word, when, okay? So, verse 2, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 5, notice this, follow with me. Verse 5, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now watch this for a second. Can you imagine, can you imagine how many had already been on the corner praying before Jesus talks about it? I mean, and, and you know, it's, that, it's, that, it's that kind of prayer that goes, Father, we are here and we're gathered. You ever been with somebody like that and they pray, there's like a different person? Listen carefully. The same voice that speaks to your heart, you ought to be able to convey it in an amazing way before the Lord. But you can imagine these these folks he said hey if they pray like that they've got their whole deal done they get nothing else look on though then he goes on to say look if you would verse 16 whenever you fast do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting truly i say to you they have their reward in full now what are you hearing here jesus is confronting hypocrisy and he's saying, you give it one appearance, and the truth is, you're missing it completely. Look on though, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so it's amazing because what does he do? He transitions, watch this, from the different things that we do to how we live. In other words, he moves from not just what we, how we pray, what we give, how we fast, to, but how we live. How worry can end up taking control of our journey of faith. And so all of a sudden, you come to this place where you start saying, oh, wait a minute now. If I'm going to be able to experience what God intends, there has to be alignment in my life. And I want you to get this principle down because it, it, it all ties into how we discover what it is Jesus was trying to say. Because alignment is vital to our personal priorities in life. In other words, here's what he said. When you you pray, when when you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you worry. So all of a sudden, here's what Jesus said. I'm jerking your chain to line you up, to line you up the right way. And listen carefully. Sometimes he needs to jerk our chain to wake us up. And he jerks that chain by saying, you know what? I need you to line up this way and be able to experience this. Because what was going on was he was seeing a level of hypocrisy, watch this, that was so status quo that it had become a way of life for him. They began to identify. And so here's what they do. Whenever they give, they make sure everybody saw it. I, mean, they'd, they'd pull, I had a friend years ago that, that he used to always carry this big, giant wad of money, big old wad. And whenever anything had to happen with money, he'd just pull out, just flinging those bills. Well, my first thought was you're going to knock you in the head one day. Because you have that. And lo and behold, by the way, later on, he did get knocked in the head. And uh, because someone saw him at an auto auction, he was buying cars like this, flinging that money. And it became visible to a person who was watching. And as he was driving down the road, watch this, he was driving down the road, a guy pulled up right beside him, shot him. And, w- and when, I, when I saw that and heard that news, I thought, you know what? He was doing it before men. But then there was those who, were, who always have, have those eloquent prayers. And I used to have a guy I used to, to know who, who would pray really, whenever he'd pray, he'd elevate his voice like five levels. And, and, and whenever you start praying, you realize this is going to be one of those prayers that, that shakes the whole building. And yet the truth of the matter is, if he had brought it down a couple tones, more people would have heard it. And what I want you to see is this. When hypocrisy gets in our way, when hypocrisy comes at us, Jesus was challenging something. He was challenging the status quo of hypocrisy because here's what he realized if a person was a hypocrite then they would never be able to see the reality of a transparent life and what I want you to understand is this when it comes to how you live out your journey of faith it's so absolutely essential that you don't let anything hypocritical become a part of or a way of your life you instead say Lord I don't want this to become who I am what I'm about and as we look at this he shakes up the whole status quo we're dealing with these four key wins. And so I wanted to show you something, and I, you, I want you to see the big picture of it. Because as you think about your journey of faith, as you think about what it is that God has called you to do, Jesus takes this chapter, and as he speaks, he addresses when you do these things. So I want you to evaluate your own life and look at it by way of principle and application for each one of them. All right, We begin in verse 2, chapter 6, because here we find Jesus talking about when you do give. Look at it with me if you would. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as do hypocrites, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they, their rewards rewards in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now when you read that, you realize that here, here Jesus said don't let this hand know what this hand's doing. And here's what he was trying to say. If you, watch this, if you calculate, you will never give the way God intended. In other words, if you start thinking, well, you know, I've got, I've got this and I need to hang on to it. And all of a sudden he said, no, 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 you let go of it. And it's interesting because when you look at the, the principle that's here is there's a dynamic relationship between giving and purpose. In other words, there's something that says what we do and the purpose for why we do it. That's very dynamic. In other words, it should not be something that we constantly can calculate. It should be something that we spontaneously respond to when we see somebody who is in need. And when we see that, we begin to interact in such a way that we transform our mindset. to You know what? When you give, you make sure that there's a connection point that it ties together the purpose for why you're giving. And what Jesus does here is he says, you know what? If you're hypocritical, you're going to do it only in a way that causes others to see it. But if you do it in secret, that's why it's very important for us that we make sure that we maintain the integrity of of giving through people giving, using an envelope that no one knows what they give, but God does. And as a result, when a person gets to that point where they start applying this principle, it's interesting because the application is so clear. You give with the right purpose, in the right way, and you watch what God does. You just do what you know is essential. You give in the right way, with the right purpose, and something will begin to happen inside of who you are. And by the way, let me categorically add to this. It wasn't just the resources that Jesus is referencing here. He's referencing our lives. When we take the time to intercede for others, when we take the time to give uh, an, an encouraging word And we take the time to to interact. You see, sometimes when I I find myself, sometimes, for example, in, in an orphanage in a faraway land, and in that place, I realize that the one treasure they need, they don't need money because they have no place to spend it. But they do need time that somebody cares, that someone expresses love to them. And what I want you to see today is this. As you and I learn how to give the right way with the right purpose in mind, The principle comes alive to us, and we get to see, you know, what it is God has for us. But he doesn't just talk about the issue of us giving. He moves on, verse 5, because then he comes to the second one. And what I want you to see is notice how these line up. Everyone has a principle. Everyone has an application. When you pray, verse 5, look at it with me, because here's where Jesus really gets down to the very essence of what prayer is about. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, watch this, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not like, be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he comes to this amazing prayer that you and I have let become part of our journey, of our faith. In fact, in this very room is someone who, who let this be the essence of their story as they were going through a great battle. Verse 9, pray then in this way, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's interesting what Jesus does when he comes to the end of teaching them about prayer. Notice what he does. Look at these verses. Verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. That's interesting what he does here because what does he do? He takes them through saying, you know what, you just can't say the same thing over and over again. And I'll never forget this. This was years ago. Our son was a little boy and we had got into this deal where you know, we pray for food. Lord, thank you for this food. Blessed our bodies and we're so grateful uh, for your provisions, something like that. And I'll never forget one day we prayed and my, my son looked at us and said, hey, do you ever pray anything else? I mean, he was a little kid at that time. And it struck me so vividly because watch this carefully. Here's what Jesus was saying. You can't get stuck in a rut prayer-wise. You've got to be willing to put it out there and say, Lord, I trust you in this. I yield to you in an amazing and powerful way. And here's the principle he's saying to you and I. Opening our hearts, watch this, opening our hearts to him allows us to experience his agenda. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to discover. When prayer becomes a vital link to who you are, then you start connecting into a totally different agenda. You start interceding in a totally different way. Have you ever said to somebody, hey, would you pray for me? And when you said it, they said yes, but you realized they probably wouldn't. Because they weren't really just doing that because that was the right thing to say. And the reality is, here's what Jesus said. You have to get in on God's agenda. And how do you discover his agenda? I mean, isn't it interesting? Because what did Jesus say here? He makes it very clear that in verse 8, <clears throat> verse 8, so do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And yet, what does He say? Ask. In fact, when you get later on, He starts in ask, seek, knock. And what is He trying to say to you? You and I have a responsibility by way of principle, watch this, to get in on His agenda. Get in on what he is up to, what his plan is, what he wants to do. And if you are, I don't know, how many of you use a a journal or a day timer to keep up what you're going to do in a given day? Let me see your hand. How many of you don't use any agenda at all? You're just thankful to be alive. Let me see your hand. (laughs) That's what I kind of thought. All right, so um, it's interesting because here's what Jesus said it's not a to do list. What's this? It's a to be list. Jesus says, no, I don't want you to put these things down. Okay, I prayed, I gave. No, 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 I want you to be who I want you to be. And when you look at it, what you realize is here that he makes this very clear, simple application, and that is pray with the right motive. Pray with the right motive. Start saying, Lord, you know, I want to bring bring this to you because I want to see you do amazing things. And for me, what I've discovered is if I have the right motive, I hear so clearly what it is he's saying to me. I was flying home. I got home last night, and I was flying back across the ocean, and and uh, I was I was I had my Bible out, and I was studying and everything, and all of a sudden, one of the flight attendants walked by, and she said, "I like that book." I said, "I do too," and uh, I said, "In fact, it's it's my guidebook for everything." And I said, "You want know something really, really interesting? I know which ones of you are believers because the ones who steam with the Bible and run, I know you're not." And she said. You're right on that. And she she began to tell her story. Began to tell her story about what it is God had done. And let me tell you what I discovered. When you learn how to pray the right way, you begin to hear the right things. And I said, Lord, don't put anybody on this plane that's going to distract me. And instead of distracting me, this young lady affirmed me in what I was doing. I got on the plane and said, Lord, I want you to speak to me in these ways. And I trusted him to do that with the right motive. Don't distract me by anything going on. And so, right in the middle of all this time, she walks up near the end of the flight. She said, I got to tell you about the little boy sitting over there. He's on his last trip, it's his make a wish trip. He's coming from Italy to America before he dies. And she said, I don't know what all's going on with him, but it's this end of his story. And I just wanted you to be able to pray for him. And I watched, I decided to walk behind him getting off the plane. And I realized every step he took was painful but he was making his last journey and as he was i was watching him walk it made me pray in such the right motive because i said lord extend his days long enough his mom i don't know if you've ever been on a plane where people flash the camera all the time keep making pictures she kept making all these pictures of her son i had no idea what was going on with him i kept thinking wonder why they're documenting this so much picture after picture, flash after flash. And then the flight attendant stood beside the parents and and made one more picture. And as I was on that plane, I sat there thinking, Lord, always teach me to pray the right motive. None of us know what our next step is. We don't know. But here's what we can know. Jesus brings them to focus and says in verse 9, pray then in this way. And what he was trying to do was help us realize something that we do have a father who does hear our needs. We can bring before him everything that we're facing. We don't have to ask for extra bread because he'll give us what we need. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. And what happens, Jesus brings to light here how powerful it is that we forgive and that we don't end up being tempted to do the wrong thing. And when you come to this point of forgiveness, I can't help but point this out to you. There is no greater prison than unforgiveness. You ought, to, you ought to look into the eyes of the young girl I saw this week who was brutally abused, heartache, heartache and pain and difficulty, and to be able to at least say to her that beyond your personal pain, there is a Jesus who loves you. You should be with me interacting with the young lady who wrote me and said, how, how could there be a hell? When I've lived it on earth. You see, the truth of the matter is, only prayer changes that. Only prayer moves a heart. And I want to say to you, as a people, we need to be a praying church. We need to be interceding. Amen? If we're gonna be a praying church, let's thank the Lord for that. (laughs) Because listen, this: if we don't pray, we're powerless. But when we pray, That's why, see, what you don't realize is every Saturday morning since the day that One Heart was birthed almost 10 years ago, there have been men praying. Praying. Asking God to do amazing things. Asking God to bless you. Asking God to bless our church. And how I thank God for that. We have a prayer team of people who pray. And I'm going to say this to you just by way of reminder. We have a lady who prays over all our needs named Betty Ford. And we have a team of people we send emails out to whenever we have a prayer request. Some weeks there are 10, 20, 30 requests. You want to get in on that team, contact her at Betty at OneHeartChurch.org and say, I want to be a part of praying for the needs of our church. You'll, you'll hear, I'm going to tell you, you'll read some that will break your heart beyond comparison. But at least you get the word of being able to intercede. And the only thing I would say to you, pray with the right motive. All right, so first of all, he said, when you give, when you pray. Look at the third one. Notice this third principle. Because when he he brings to light this whole idea of fasting, all right? And I want to talk about this a little bit because most people don't understand it. Verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's interesting what Jesus does here because he gives a principle. It's the third principle I want you to see because as we're jolting our lives forward, as we're moving forward by way of focus, it's very important for us to not miss these elements of what makes life worth living. And here he talks about fasting. And what is fasting? What is the principle? It has to do with a deliberate and intentional time of focus. In other words, all of a sudden, I set aside everything, and I focus in on what it is that he has for me. And what happens when you get deliberate and intentional, you set aside food, you set aside other things, and what he says here is when you start doing that, all of a sudden, the one who knew you before you ever formed your mother's womb begins to notice that you're serious about something, and you're serious enough to, to intercede in such a way that you're fasting, It's that deliberate and intentional time. We say, you know what? I'm going to focus on this no matter what. It's what happens when you and I stop our regular routine and say, Lord, speak to my heart. And you may be sitting here saying, I've never fasted one day in my life. Well, if you do, don't tell anybody. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't go tell everybody. Guess what? Man, I fasted four days. I'll never forget. I'm going to tell you the story because it's a long time ago. I'm going to tell you when I I fasted. I went on a college trip with college students from First Baptist Atlanta almost 20 years ago. And on the way down, the Lord said, don't eat a bite the whole time you're there. you going to speak four days. He said, don't eat a bite. Well, if you know me very well, I asked for a repeat of all that. I said, no, Lord, tell me that one more time, two more times, three more times, four more times. Because the idea of fasting, let me tell you what I discovered. Do you know within about the second day, my appetite disappeared? It was just gone, and I was like, I woke up, and I said, Lord, what, what is this? Because I, mean, I am Mr. Cheeseburger. I'm chicken fried. I'm, I'm into all that kind of stuff, chicken fried steak, everything. But during that season, it was very, very amazing what God did because it was an intentional time of focus. Some of those kids are now grown, got children everything else. Whenever they message me on Facebook or anything else, I always think about those moments. None of them knew, none of them knew that entire time, but God knew. And here's what I want you to see. Be wise to set aside at times these intentional moments, which, by the way, isn't it interesting? Because Jesus addressed it, here's what he addressed. You've got to give. You've got to pray. You've got to fast sometime. Now, some of you sitting there saying, I have physical condition that keep me from doing that. I'm not saying fast three or four days. For some of us, we fast two hours. I fast from pizza while in Italy for three hours at one point. And, you know, I said, Lord, I, I can't eat this pizza again. And so I'm teasing, all right? I'm trying to get your attention here. I'm just letting you know that you don't have to fast a whole big span of time. You can take a real small window of time and say, Lord, I want to focus and deliberately and intentionally on you. And what Jesus was saying here was, and when you do that, then you come to verse 19, and here's what he says. Don't store up for yourself treasures on heaven, I mean, on earth. Do not store up for your tre- yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. Watch, and watch, don't miss verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Isn't that an amazing thing? What did Jesus do? He says, when you start fasting... You start learning what to hang on to, what not to hang on to, and you start getting rid of anything that gets in your way because your treasure is not on earth. It is in heaven. So what is what What do we learn here? What are the applications that, that ties into this whole principle? There are moments. There are moments in our journey where we sacrifice and submit to him. And as we do it, it begins to direct us. Notice those two key words. Give up something you should you, you, you don't need to hang on to and submit while you're letting go of it and watch what happens as a result and what jesus was saying was when you learn how to fast the right way you won't hang on the treasures that don't matter you'll make sure you're giving those away then it's, there's then he comes to this final principle and i hope this jolts you because all of us all of us learn a lot about life by whether we worry or don't worry what we allow to control us or not control us, and what happens here is he comes to these verses where he talks about worry. Look at it with me if you would, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who, who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things." And then he comes to verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When you worry, what happens? What is the principle? Anxiety steals opportunity. And when it steals that opportunity, it causes the focus to shift to us instead of him. All of a sudden, we get, and I'm going to tell you, I had a moment of deep anxiety this last week. And it all related to what was going on here, related to Cindy. And all of a sudden, this anxiety came over me. And all of a sudden, I realized I couldn't let that be in control of who I am. Because God knew before I ever got on a plane going that way that Cindy would be in a hospital here. And all of a sudden, it shifted my focus. And, and what happens here, Jesus makes it clear if you let anxiety control you, which, by the way, anxiety is a real thing. What is it? It is our response mechanism when things don't add up and we start thinking, man, i gotta make this figure, I got to do the math on this. Somehow the math has to work, and it doesn't work. And so as a result, we start looking and saying, no, 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 I don't want to live this way. And what, you, what I want you to see is there's an application here that's so vital because Jesus makes it clear that you, know, you can't add a day to your life. You can't add anything to your life. And what it really, the application is this you always conquer worry with wisdom. You always go at whatever it is that makes you anxious with the affirmation that God is with you. And you let him speak to your heart and lie. And I know for me, what I discovered was that as I was getting anxious, I began to release. And by the way, sometimes just a few tears down your cheek will cause you to start focusing on what really counts. And you start conquering your anxiety with wisdom. What Jesus was saying was, don't spend all your life trying to figure out, hey, what's this? What's that? Don't, don't, don't sit around saying, I'm going to be sick with this or sick with that. You instead conquered all with wisdom. And today, as you think about that, imagine for a moment that you, you find yourself asking yourself the question regarding timing. When is the right time to obey God? When is the right time to say, Lord, I want to follow you? And I can tell you without a doubt, the right time is now. The right time to give is now, the right time to pray is now, the right time to fast is now, the right time to conquer worry is now, and the right time to obey God is now. And I want to say to you that if you're here today and you find yourself going, you know what, I need that answer because I get so anxious about this, or I'm overwhelmed by that, or I hang on to this, or I'm challenged by that, and all of a sudden you say, no, wait, 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 it's him at work in your heart and life that changes everything. If that's the case, Then you have come to the right place at the right time in the right way, we will show you what it means to follow Him. If you're here today and you realize this is a place where I need to get on, I need to be jolted in the reality that I need to be a part of what God's up to. Instead of relying on myself, I need to get on what God's up to. And maybe you're here and you realize you have been floating and all of a sudden God puts the motor inside you and says, Go for it. Whatever it is you hear God saying, this is a day the last Sunday of the month of January in which we looked at what it means when Jesus jolted those who were in the status quo of religion by saying, don't be a hypocrite. Instead, live out your faith in a real way. If you're here today, God's speaking to you. I want to encourage you to respond in a way that only he could lead you to. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Christ, I'm telling you, you want a key to everything in life, give it to Jesus. If you're here and you're struggling, you want to find direction, this is the right place to be. If you're here and you're just looking for hope, the blessed hope is the one who speaks to all our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the amazing, amazing way that Jesus teaches those who let religion take control and moves them to a profound and defining moment in life where seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything that we need in life will be brought to us. We'll know how to give. We'll know how to pray. We'll know when to fast, we'll know that worry cannot define our journey because wisdom must. Lord, in this moment in which we stop to speak to you, I pray for every man and woman, boy or girl that's here, who perhaps feels that they have a need to come. If they feel you calling on their hearts in life, we pray they would respond today. Let you become their Lord. You are the one who saves. We give every person to you. In Jesus' name, amen.